0: Hello, musical scientists! Welcome to another episode of Science Life. It's been a long time since we did one of these. Um, About a year, in fact. But I'm bringing it back. Um, If you enjoyed the recent Nanobot video, and if you haven't seen it, um, go and watch it, I think. Because the video that you're about to see, or podcast, if you're listening to this on audio, is a conversation that I had with Professor David Lee, Professor David Lee is the chair of chemistry at Manchester University, and he's one of the forerunners in the field of synthetic molecular machines and molecular robotics. A lot of the little gizmos that you saw in that video were products of Professor Lee's lab, Um, and so I'm very excited to talk to him, and it it was a fascinating conversation. We start out more with what's going on in the field of molecular robotics and uh, his views on nanotechnology. Um, But we diverge into creativity and open science and how to think about um, finding connections between different fields and this sort of new connected world that we're trying to build within science that he and I really seem to have a connection with. Um, So... I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Professor David Lee.
1: <makes noise> We're the spice. We're the flavor of
0: the universe. <laughs> Alright, I'm here with Dave Lee. Um, hi, Dave.
1: Hi, Tim. Hi, everyone.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you on the show. It's um, a lot you. Yeah. I mean, you're the person who kind of made this entire thing happen, I suppose. Um, you were really the, the inspiration reaching out to me to go out and research this field of molecular robotics. Um, maybe we could start by you just telling us a little bit about yourself. How did you, like, who are you? How did you get to where you are now? What was your path?
1: Oh, wow. Um, well, I uh, uh, I did my uh, uh, PhD in an area called supramolecular chemistry, which is about how um, uh, molecules interact uh, with e- each other. Uh, and um, after that, uh, my PhD was actually with uh, 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 Fraser Stoddart, who recently won or well, shared the Nobel Prize for um, synthetic molecular machines with right. uh, Ben Feringa and Jean-Pierre Sauvage. Yeah, that, that was, that uh, but was, I was actually in his ago. group.
0: Uh, sorry, that was the, tw- 2015. That was the Nobel Prize in Chemistry. 2016. 2016.
1: 2016, uh, uh, 2016 Nobel Prize uh, uh, for Chemistry. I was actually in um, Fraser's group before uh, he started uh, working in that uh, field uh, as well and then when I started my independent research career uh, f- a few years later uh, we had a, um, uh, just a serendip- serendipitous discovery, something unusual happened in the lab as so many projects uh, start from, we, we discovered a, uh, a new way of making mechanically interlocked uh, rings and Fraser and uh, uh, Jean-Pierre uh, Sauvage had uh, shown a few years earlier that these architectures uh, could be useful as um, uh, the basis for uh, perhaps beginning to make very simple molecular machines because they allow large amplitude, big motions to occur. And if you can control that, uh, maybe you can use that as a basis of molecular machines. So we just stumbled into the area, but um, I guess we were well prepared to, to go on.
0: Right, yeah. So these, uh, I, I tried to show as much of that as possible in the in the video. Um, so that's yeah. so it's it's these it's really these interlocking what you call um, mechanical, bond, right? This, yeah, this mechanical new form bonds,
1: right? Yeah, mechanical bonds. Catenane from the Latin "catena," meaning uh, uh, chain, because they're like links of a chain. Uh, and the other sort of molecules are, are called uh, rotaxanes, uh, where you have a, a ring that's uh, threaded onto a, uh, an axle. And the nice things about these molecules. Uh, and and what uh, Fraser and Jean-Pierre so, uh, showed in the 80s and 90s is that uh, you can uh, control the motion of those components and actually switch them between different um, positions. <coughs> and we then took that uh, that basic concept and then uh, tried to make a uh, uh, more sophisticated uh, system to try and use that motion to do interesting things and to make pumps and motors and uh, uh, and even um, what's becoming known as molecular robotics. All
0: right, um, I do want to talk more about that, but I'd like to know a little more about you first, because I think from what I know of you, you've got a fairly broad range of interests and you're a little bit, I mean, you're a little bit like me, it seems, where your your interest flies sure. all
1: over the place. So. Yeah, I, I think that science is a creative endeavour and the best science comes from uh, creativity. So there's a lot of different things that um, sort of float my boat that I'm interested in. Uh, all sorts of science communication. I love the sort of things you do, which is why I was uh, glad that we were able to persuade you to, uh, to get involved and do such a, a great job. Um, and lots of other things uh, as well. I, mean, uh, I had a background as a, as a bridge player, so I, I used to uh, play cards, uh, probably a bit too much when I was a student. And then uh, during my PhD, I actually had to decide whether to turn pro, uh, in which case I'd probably be a poker player now. Um, and I decided not to do that and decided to carry on with science. Uh, but it means that I, I know my way around uh, a pack of cards. And again, I tended to use that in various aspects of my job as well. So I, I like to use magic in uh uh, in my lectures and and so on, I I think that that's again an entertaining way to present difficult concepts to uh, a scientific audience.
0: So you you so you use magic in your in your lectures and
1: stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that magic has a um, uh, a lot to uh, to show scientists. I mean, obviously there are differences. Science is all about um, explaining. Uh, what's uh, real and and magic? Obviously, there's a, a little bit of um, uh, what you're you're showing is uh, uh, is is not is not real. There's something else going on. But I think it's a good lesson for scientists uh, to, uh, to learn from magic because uh, when we do science, when we do experiments in the in the lab, uh, you you uh, know what goes into the experiment. Uh, and you can see the data that comes out, and then, on the basis of that, you draw a line and say, "Okay, so this happens, that happens, that happens, and that happens and Magic is a nice reminder that just because you know the physical setup at the start or you think you do, and just the though you know the outcome at the end, you really don't know what's happening uh at the at the nano scale and in the uh, uh, during the experiment, and uh maybe things are going on that you Um, you don't expect and you don't know about. And so the simplest explanation is not uh, the only uh, one that that might be possible. And that's a a good thing for scientists to remember, I think. Right. That there's kind of, when you get into what
0: you're working with, I guess, which is more, it's more complexity. Like what I started doing, I I was in fundamental physics when I was in school. So it was really about go down to the lowest layer possible and try to get under it and see what's simpler than that and what's simpler than that, what everything's based on. Yeah, but what you're doing is more like you've got, you've got the tools now. You've got the laws of physics, but the possibilities of what you could build with this thing, it does sort of seem like magic, I guess. Like you've got this 52 card deck, and that's that's what you have. <laughs> but within that, just the combinatorial possibilities are immense. Um, well, so, I
1: mean, ch- chemistry and synthetic chemistry, the sort of things that we do is all about uh, creativity. You uh, understand the tools of how to put molecules together, and there's been 150 years of building up that that uh, that level of science, so that we know how to put these Lego bricks uh, of elements and fragments of molecules together. The question now is, what should we build, and uh, uh, and why? And molecular machines gives you an opportunity to uh, uh, to perhaps change um the way that things are are currently done and uh to start a new sort of technology built from the ultimate in miniaturization uh which is building machines out of molecules Mm. so when you're when you're
0: figuring out what to do next as a as a chemist in this sort of creative process how does that how does that work where do the ideas come from for what to try next
1: in our group, all, all the ideas come from the uh, uh, from the students trying to go <laughs> further and further of uh, uh, the what's been uh, uh, possible uh, before, and it's always building on uh, layers. So, um, uh, catenanes and rotaxanes were, were just the start, just um, uh, and this ability to make uh, switches. Um, uh, we, But that's really just the the, the simplest sort of uh, machines that you can get. And just as in the Middle Ages, uh, engineers and scientists realized that there were a certain number of fundamental machines, such as the the lever and the pulley um, uh, and so on, um, uh, the engineers then realized that you could make more complex machines by combining the functions of simple machines together, uh, to, and enables them to do things that you can't do uh, just with the simple machines. And that's how uh, you build this uh, technology. We have the very simple basic bl- uh, building blocks and machines uh, that have been established now using, in chemistry. And it's all about learning how to combine those sorts of uh, machines to do more complex tasks that you can't do any, uh, any other way and it's not like it's a, it's a molecular engineering but we can't just follow the the rules of engineering from the big world uh because uh of course the way that matter behaves at different length scales is is just so uh so different so uh engineering techniques just don't scale uh down and so we have to come up with new ways to uh, uh to do engineering at the molecular level
0: yeah let's let's get into that a little bit because i think one of the things that i i was able to briefly mention in the video but it's a concept that I find is is hard to wrap your head around, and maybe you can give your own sort of take on it as an explanation. Is this idea of this information ratchet mechanism, or like all these different right. ratchet mechanisms? So you've got a system that's very down at that scale is jostling around and moving every which way, but you have a a force. It's like a statistical force. It's not. It's not even really a true force, but it's sort of a numbers game over time. That, that if you apply certain right. um, inequalities to different parts of the system, you can get it on average moving in a particular direction. Yeah. Um, so, h- how would you so, explain wh- what, a, what an information ratchet is and how it works?
1: Right. So, so the, the big difference between machines in the big world... Or the way matter behaves in the big world and the small world is that at, at, at the nanoscale everything is constantly moving through random thermal uh, motion or, or or Brownian motion, um, and uh, it's also very sticky. So that's again a big difference to the big world, and another reason that you can't just shrink uh, uh, shrink engineering concepts uh, down. So uh, all the elements that we use to build machines in the big world, the Newtonian mechanics, things like momentum and inertia. Those things become uh, irrelevant at molecular uh, length scales. If you give a protein a portion it will stop immediately in a, um, in, a, in a in a cell. So you have to use instead of Newtonian uh, mechanics, you have to use statistical mechanisms in order to get uh, uh, to control motion. So it's not getting things to move. Uh, that's the difficult thing at the nanoscale. It, it's controlling the directionality of all the motion that's, that, that's going on, basically cutting out all the motion that you don't want and then that just leaves you the motion that you do want. And the way that that's um, done is using uh, uh, ratchet mechanisms, Brownian ratchet mechanisms, and these are the, the general solutions to how to make motors uh, in, the, in the molecular world and the key to making any kind of sophisticated machine. So how would you describe a Brownian ratchet mechanism? Yeah so again these, these uh, uh, the idea for these sort of things or the realizations of them actually dates right back to the when the laws of thermodynamics were being uh, formulated and Jane Clark's Maxwell, the famous uh, uh, Scottish physicist who was responsible with Boltzmann for the theory of heat and was also involved in um, uh, some of the laws of thermodynamics being formulated, realised that there was a a sort of a a conundrum uh, between uh, the theory of heat and um, uh, the the laws of thermodynamics. And he illustrated this in a, a thought experiment called Maxwell's Demon, which is where you have a... Uh, a load of gas molecules um, in a a box with a compartment between them and a trap door and uh, Maxwell uh, proposed that uh, there would be a being that's come to be known as Maxwell's demon that could open this trap door to let through molecules that were fast moving or hot from one side uh, to the other uh, and stop molecules that were slow moving or cold from moving in the same direction and so Maxwell realised that you could use that to uh, sort molecules into hot uh, hot and cold, fast and moving and slow moving and if this door was frictionless it looks like the being expends no energy to Uh, to make this happen, and yet at the end you've got a heat gradient between the two sides, hot molecules on one, uh, cold molecules on the other, and of course Maxwell realised you can use a heat gradient to drive a turbine and to do work. And if you've expended no energy to open and close the the door and you've got energy out at the the end, you can have a perpetual motion machine and limit the supply of energy but unfortunately break the second law of, of thermodynamics. So it took physicists... Uh, maybe 50 years to realize that the, the solution to this paradox is, of course, the being has to process information to know when to open and close the door. Uh, and um, that's always costs more energy, the processing of information, than it's possible to get back. But that process of opening and closing the door uh, and trapping the hot molecules on one side and the cold molecules on the other and setting up a, 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 an energy gradient, that's r- what ratcheting is. And so uh, that um, thought experiment was really the first time that uh, the proposal for a molecular motor uh, 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 or mechanism for a molecular motor was um, sort of envisaged, although, of course, Maxwell didn't uh, see it that way, of course, at the time.
0: So your machine is basically acting as Maxwell's demon, but you're giving it some sort of additional energy that allows it to not break the second law of thermodynamics?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. You have to put in more energy uh, uh, than uh, you get out in order not to break the, the second law. But the principle is the same. You're telling um, the molecule uh, 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 to open a, a door or to have faster kinetics in one direction, and then to once it's got to that part, you're, you're, uh, it's using the information of its position to tell the system uh, to stop it being able to go back, to shut the door behind it, and that leads then just through the random thermal motion of the uh, of the components being um, able to move back and forth uh, through the door, it, sh- it shuts when you want it to, so that it can't the particles can't go back, and it just drives them in, inexorably in the direction uh, you want, and you're able to, then to use that to do productive things and to use them as um, uh, as motors or pumps uh, or synthesizing machines, uh, uh, as you showed.
0: So an information ratchet, say you've got a pump that you're trying to bring something from one, one side of a membrane to another. You uh, have the, the species that you're trying to get across and the information you're talking about is, see, the, the, is the, the information, information of the, the molecule itself being close enough to the pump to change it in some way.
1: Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly how it works. So there's, a uh, in effect, a signalling of, of the position of the particle to the pump that tells the pump, okay, shut the door behind me so that I can't go backwards and then I'll have to go forward. That's exactly um, uh, uh, how, it, uh, how it works and how we, we try and design uh, these sort of things. But, of course, there already are... Uh, the inspiration, the other inspiration for this, that uh, uh, besides coming from the fundamental laws of physics, are, of course, from biology, because right. this is exactly how biological pumps work.
0: Yeah, this is something that evolution beat us to by billions of years, how to make these little uh, uh, ratchet pumps and molecular motors.
1: Yeah, th- yeah, that's exactly right. So what we try and do is uh, uh, learn from uh, both the fundamental laws of, of physics and what physicists have learned about uh, how to design uh, uh, ratchet mechanisms. And then we apply those uh, principles as the basic mechanism um, to, uh, uh, to make very simple chemical systems because biological systems are, are really, really complicated the way uh, that they go about uh, doing these things or the 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 structures are very complicated we make uh, very minimalist structures that just have the uh, the elements that are needed uh in order to 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 drive the physics uh, in the way that we want but then that also explains how the biology works mm-hmm. so it's kind of a, a a nice um circle
0: yeah and it seems to me like that biology because what you're what you're doing like your approach to nanotechnology is kind of this bottom up approach right where it's um you're, you're starting with basic chemistry and then trying to build more and more complicated molecules out of that until you get something that's a really functional machine. And uh, I, what's funny, what's cool to me about biology is it's kind of a proof of concept for your entire philosophy of how to do nanotechnology. It's sort of proof that from basic chemistry, you can get all the way up to macroscopic molecular machines, right?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's absolutely uh, right, it's the evidence that uh, uh, that nanotechnology works, that's that's what life uh, is. The other way that um, uh, people originally thought about uh, uh, approaching this, and most famously in Feynman's uh, lecture, there's plenty of room at the, the bottom, um, is this sort of top-down idea of trying to take engineering concepts from the big world and apply them, uh uh, for example the manipulation of of atoms by um uh uh uh, yeah by by other um uh, other molecular sort of uh, systems that are are, are macroscopic machines the idea being that you
0: make a you make a large tool that makes a smaller tool that makes a smaller tool that you when you work down to the molecular
1: level Um, yeah and so the that's that's superficially attractive because we know, of course, that all the how mechanics works in the big world. But the problem is, um, as we discussed earlier, the way that matter behaves at the at the small level is just so different that it doesn't make sense to try and make machines that uh, work in uh, in the same way as they do in 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 the big world. Uh, it's you know, if you always have to design a machine according to the environment that it's going to work in. So if you want something to move along a solid surface, a road in the big world, you'll have a, a car with wheels and you'll transfer um, angular momentum from the camshaft to the wheels and uh, use that angular momentum to project it on the road. But even if you change that road from being solid to being a liquid, put it on water, and that mechanism of the machine is completely useless then you need a whole of a boat and you need a sail or a propeller to drive it uh, along change the environment again lift that machine up in the air and and the sailing boat becomes useless then you need an aeroplane uh, with wings and a, uh, a jet engine take it up into space that mechanism doesn't work then you need rockets and, uh, 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 and so and that's all in the big world the molecular world is um so very different in the way that matter behaves that trying to develop those sort of machine concepts and shrinking them down to the molecular world just doesn't make any sense it seems to make much more sense to learn how biology solves the conundrum of how do you make machines that work at the the nanoscale and apply those uh ideas those concepts and those techniques to the design of um uh, of synthetic molecular machines and the advantage that we have over biology is, of course, biology is limited to just 20 amino acid building blocks, which it uses for all the motor proteins and uh, machines in the in the cell. But we've got the whole periodic table and 150 years of, of chemistry to try and design new things. Um, uh, but it takes uh, it takes time because, uh, yeah, as you pointed out, biology has had three and a half billion years of evolution to get it right, and. Uh, you know, if we'd be going maybe 20 years.
0: Yeah. But that gives me sort of two questions to ask you. The one one is, what is what can biology still do that we can't? Which is maybe, maybe there are a lot of things. Um, but the other question is, what do you think that specifically this sort of technology could be able to do that the random processes of evolution haven't been able to do more effectively?
1: Yeah. Okay so the first one first i mean biology can do loads and loads of things that uh, we can't even uh, begin to do uh, uh, yet with um, uh, synthetic molecular uh, machines i mean all all of life but just one example uh, the the ribosome which is uh, the the thing that takes genetic information the, the information encoding genetic information through strands of messenger rna uh, that encodes for the amino acid sequence that occurs in Uh, Proteins And the ribosome is the molecular machine that reads this tape of information and uh, then um, adds the building blocks in the sequence of the protein, uh, the amino acid building blocks in the sequence that the the genetic code tells it in order to make uh, all your proteins. So that's an example of of a molecular machine building a sequence uh, 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 polymer um, and yeah, it underpins all, all of life. Uh, We've started to make, uh, chemists have started to make just the very simplest examples uh, of those, but all we can put together is three or four or five uh, amino acids in in sequence. Uh, The ribosome uh, puts together 20 amino acids every second uh, in a strip that can be 200 amino acids uh, uh, long. And uh, it's far more efficient and effective, and we don't know how to do that for any other building block than uh, the biology already uses. Hmm. Um, The second uh, uh, part of your, uh, uh, what? Sorry, Tim, I've forgotten. What was the second question? The second question
0: was, what do you what do you think that synthetic or these synthetic molecular machines have the capacity to do that hasn't been reached by biology?
1: Yeah, so of course, evolution just takes you down a kinetic uh, bottleneck. So once evolution solves a particular problem through a mutation, there's no, um, uh, ne- there's not necessarily any advantage for it going back and finding a better solution that would require many more uh, modifications to the genetic code. That would be a very unlikely thing to to happen if there's no evolutionary pressure for for that to happen. So um, genuine. Generally, um, biology is always going to produce something that that, that, uh, that works, but down down a kinetic uh, trap, the easiest way or statistically, the, just the way that it did it, uh, evolve. So, as chemists or as scientists, once we uh, we we can obviously use our imaginations and our creativity, and the whole of chemistry that's being developed and has been developed, and the whole of the periodic table to choose what are going to be the uh, best ways to solve a particular problem and uh, as an example of um, uh... uh... as an example of uh... uh of the way that you can come up with different solutions to different problems if biology was the only way of doing things, then the computer that uh, that we're seeing each other on uh, would be wet and made of organic matter like our, our brains. Right? Right. But, it, but it's not. It's a uh, 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 scientist designed it to, uh, uh, an engineer's designed it to work in a different way, using a different, completely different kind of technology. So it doesn't always have to be biomimetic biomim- or using the same solutions that biology does to get to the, uh, uh, to, um, uh, a good technological answer. Um, But from the machines sort of side, because we don't know how to make molecular machines, or not complicated ones yet, it seems to make sense to learn, you know, the fundamental rules of the game from biology, make the switches, make the motors, make the pumps, uh, make the logic gates, uh, um, see how biology uses those, and start to make much simpler versions um, uh, 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 in the laboratory. And again, there's an example in in chemistry of where that's been very successful, and that's uh, uh, making catalysts. So catalysts are things that chemists use and industry uses to make all kinds of drugs to accelerate chemical reactions or to make reactions occur that really don't want to, that are really slow. Um, And uh, 20, 30 years ago, there was no way to do that um, in a a really uh, effective uh, way. But biology has enzymes. That's what right. enzymes do. They're biological catalysts, and they accelerate all the, um, uh, all the kinds of reactions that you, you need in the, in the cell. But they're, they're proteins, and so they are enormous uh, molecules of uh, can be 100,000 uh, daltons, so uh, 100 uh, or 200 amino acids in a, in a big, long chain. But chemists aren't limited to using uh, amino acids, they're not limited to using water and ambient temperatures and pressures. So chemists over the last 20, 30 years have made catalysts that uh, uh, can catalyze reactions that enzymes can't, uh, that can be faster, that can be more specific, uh, but by using different elements. And they're much, much smaller than the enzymes that biology makes. Uh, And so that's just one example of the way that chemists can do things By learning the rules first, uh, often from biology, uh, uh, that having the whole periodic table and not being limited to biological building blocks, we can do things that are more effective and um, uh, and more useful. Hmm.
0: But a lot of the time, what we still do is that we'll do an interface between the biological and the mechanical. Right? Sure. If you talk about yeah. a lot of food processes, that we're still using bacteria or yeasts. Or, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. And that's another, uh, I mean, a, a, another uh, molecular machines is, is absolutely no is exception. First of all, you've got uh, synthetic biology where people are, are taking um, synthetic uh, uh, biological machine parts that already work. And then using them, putting them together in different ways, again to making new kinds of uh, molecular machines that biology doesn't make. But it's like taking the uh, uh, it's like taking the wheels from uh, one uh, uh, one enzyme uh, or one bacteria and taking the uh, the chassis from another, putting them together to do different kinds of things. And then there's also this wonderful building block uh, called DNA. So DNA is used by biology, of course, to pass down genetic information. But for a scientist, it's also a fantastic structural tool because all the interactions that uh, are used for um, passing down information, the encoding that's in the base pairs, uh, that that, um, recognition can be used to get very, very selective interactions uh, between strands. Uh, to build them up and use them as as molecular machines and as uh, molecular materials that are uh, extremely well-behaved and can be understood in, uh, in a very uh, simple uh, way and programmed to operate in new kinds of ways that, um, you know, completely unbiological-like. Hmm. Yeah,
0: like, I guess biology has, give, has been, a, like, evolution has been this very slow algorithm, but at the same time, it has worked out a lot of the basic building blocks that are very stable and very versatile, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, that's, uh, that's true. But as I, uh, and so scientists can use that to our advantage because a lot of the things that biology does, we haven't found better ways of doing it. So we haven't found better ways of encoding information than DNA base pairs. Uh, I mean, that's an exquisite example of fidelity uh, of which base pair recognizes a, another base pair together with being relatively weak that you can strip them apart if they were if the binding was too strong um, it would be it would be less useful and you wouldn't be able to strip it apart in the cell to pass um, uh, on the on the genetic imp- information important for for replication but there are other sort of things where um, we can make reagents and catalysts and uh, uh, and reactive molecules that can do things that are better than biology, and we're, we're not restricted to having to work, work in uh, uh, water and at, uh, at room temperature, and that can have lots of advantages. As I say, in, for example, in drug manufacture or making polymers or uh, other kinds of, uh, of materials. So it's it's learning from biology, sometimes uh, uh, just naked stealing of. A- Biological parts and uh, concepts, but also realizing that we can go beyond that in our design uh, uh, principles by using our creativity.
0: Yeah. So I, when I made the video, what I kind of found was that it, it's it's obviously a field that's only a couple decades old, and it feels it felt like what I was what I was doing was it was a little bit scattershot, right? Like I just, I had to sort of pull all these different examples from all over. And it, it is at the stage of here are the basic building blocks that we're figuring yeah. out. Um, but I I saw a quote by Ben Feringa who was saying, you know, now we have 20 different little rotational motors that all work in slightly different ways. Now's the time to start using these elements and, and going to the next stage and seeing if we can actually build... Yeah. Um, complicated machines. So what's, yeah. uh, what's the state of, of the field now?
1: Yeah, no, that's. Ex- I think that that's ex- exactly right. We have those basic uh, uh, gizmos, if you like, that have been uh, made, and now the task is to take these simple machines and to make what, uh, again, a, a medieval engineer would call compound machines, where you're combining these machine elements to make something that's uh, more sophisticated and do, can do something that's more than the sum of its parts. so for example, we're starting to make things that can really be seen as uh, the, the starts of molecular robotic systems that can be programmed to do different tasks to build different structures uh, depending upon the information that uh, you feed into it and that's possible by um, by mixing together different components, switches, uh binding um uh units motors uh ratchet mechanisms by putting them in the in the right sort of order and having the uh one one machine doing one one part of the machine doing one thing another part of the machine doing another you get something that's more than the sum of its parts just like uh, a watch or or something like that in the big world which has springs and cogs and hands and uh, uh and so on where every part does a different part that's what we're trying to begin to do with the uh, uh, synthetic molecular machines and particularly in this area of molecular robotics and programmable molecular machines.
0: Yeah, so, so one of the machines that you, um, your team made is one of the ones that shows up in the video um, yeah. where if, if the viewers have seen the video, they'll remember a, a machine. It comes by very quickly because a lot of stuff in that video happens <laughs> really fast. Um, but it's got a base and it's got a switch, a, a switching hinge that goes from one direction to another. And this is yeah. a machine that can produce all four like stereoisomers of a of a given yeah.
1: chemical. Yeah, that's right. So it can build different molecules depending upon how you program it. And I mean, it's a really small and simple molecule, way simpler than uh, uh, than uh, a biological enzyme that would uh, uh, that can do similar sorts of uh, uh, things that can uh, uh, do multi-stage uh, synthesis. This is much much smaller. Uh, but it consists of a a lot of different uh, working parts going on in that molecule you've got a uh, a platform with different uh, catalytic groups that can cause chemical reactions to occur on it you've got a, a switchable arm that can be switched from the two sides the arm's got a gripper attached to it that can be used to pick up a substrate molecule and so you can hold this substrate molecule over one Reactive side, or you can switch it to another reactive side, and then you can get it to do multiple chemical reactions. So, by controlling which reaction happens next and where the position of the arm is, then you can use that to build. Uh, a different product and this is very reminiscent of, of what's done in factories for building a, uh, a car. You have robotic arms that uh, pick up pieces and sticks them together and you can t- uh, program those arms to do different things to uh, uh, to change the car that's being made or the parts that are being put together and um, this is the same sort of thing that we're now learning how to do with molecular uh, sized uh, systems that one day um, could be molecular factories. The basis of molecular factories. So I, I want to ask you more questions. I just are there
0: sheep in the background? Do you live out in the country? <laughs> yeah, sorry, we live
1: on a farm. Sorry, if, uh, that's coming. <laughs> they uh, seem to be hungry at the moment. That's great. So, uh, so do you, you yeah. live a, Are those sheep yours? Are they? Are, do you care for them? Uh, no, they're the farmers. they uh, but they're only about uh, twelve feet away. They're in the next field. <laughs> uh, if I could switch the switch the computer around, I I'd show you but um yeah sorry I've got the the door out because it's a unusually hot day in Manchester You don't get me. <laughs> no that's
0: um, that's that's great. I've been wondering myself about moving out into the if if I could move out into the country somewhere because right now I live in a basement in the in the middle of the city and it's the kind of thing you know with my job I could take it anywhere if I wanted yeah. to Yeah um, no, it's,
1: it's great very
0: lucky yeah, do you find that the environment that you're in affects the way you
1: think and the way you work? Yeah. Yeah, so that's actually the reason why, you know, I, I run a I run a lab in in Manchester, which is a big uh, uh city of um maybe 3 million uh, uh people, but I I live outside uh on, on a on a farm about uh um 15 uh, miles away. And I do that because I like the the quiet and the, the calm of the uh, of the countryside it lets me uh, think. Um, we can't have a lab here, and my group, who are much younger than me, definitely enjoy the the city life. Um, but uh, for me, I definitely find it a a way of yeah uh, being able to think and uh, relax at the same time.
0: Yeah, I've been I've been noticing that too. That if I just to change. Where I am, or what I'm looking at, or to see green and go out somewhere, it'll it'll jog my brain, and all of a sudden, different different ideas will suddenly connect that I've been stuck with um, for a long time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think that's important in creative prof- professions like like, like we both have.
0: I want to go back to to your magic for a little bit. Um, do you find that that like having these other interests, like with magic and and bridge and um, I hear that you're an avid rock fan. Um, <laughs> do you find that these different things—do do they do they give you different op- different ways of looking at things? Do they present you ideas uh, that you wouldn't have had otherwise? Of course,
1: oh, of course. Um, yeah, I mean they're, they're different creative uh, out um, outlets uh, and also inputs uh, for for what one uh, does. So I mean the 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 magic and uh, is definitely about uh, creativity and t- storytelling. So I find that useful um, in in lectures uh, as well. That it um, uh, you know that it's a way of, of of telling a story in a different way and getting people to just think in in uh, uh, different ways about uh, uh, about things. Uh, Bridge uh, uh, is. A game that's all to do with mastery of probabilities and statistics, uh, which again leads, um, you know, it's it's related to, uh, uh, to to the way of thinking statistically about how machines uh, work and those um, uh, those sort of uh, uh, mechanisms. Uh, it's not that I, uh, uh, you know, I don't find that there's direct over that. But I just think it's good for uh, tweaking different parts of the brain. And, uh, you know, I like all kinds of art, music, uh, and all those sorts of things can uh, be useful for uh, for work. A lot of the molecules that we make are aesthetically very beautiful. And I think that, that I like to, we like to make in our group things that are as simple as they can be, but no simpler. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's, that's nice because it, they they're really minimalist in showing the function that they they want to do. There's not extra parts strapped on uh, to them that aren't uh, necessary. And I think that that's again useful for explaining the concepts and getting that over the concepts that we want to to show through our uh, through our work.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, like the thing is with creativity, it's such a mysterious force, right? Like where ideas come from is not something that's yeah. apparent to you, the person who is having the ideas. Even though we talk yeah. about being self-aware. There is a very limited surface level that we're actually aware of. So I often wonder yeah. like if I if I get a brand new idea. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of dreaming up an idea, but I know that's something, you know, in the in the history oh. of chemistry there's some very prominent examples of of solutions yeah. being posed in dreams. And I've always been very it's it's very curious to me because it it suggests that there's all this calculation like there there's more intelligence in you than you actually have conscious access to.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm sure that that's true. So the way that I like to um, approach problems is that I'll think about it, think about it, think about it hard, and then I leave it and let it mull around me. I don't get upset that I haven't figured out the answer and frustrated by that because uh, I'm then happy to go and do something else, and it can be... Uh, magic or music or or uh, or, or, or whatever, uh, and it'll just be there in the background, t- 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 ticking over. Or it can be other chemistry, and you'll just mull it over and then come back to it from a slightly different angle. And I find that that's a, a very good way of, for me, of of analysing problems and also of making decisions. So yeah. if I've got a decision that I have to make, I'll come up with what I think is the the right decision, and then I'll just leave it and then come back to it. Uh, was that really right? Let's look at it another way. Um, Yeah, uh, thinking about it either days later or, um, you know, while I'm doing some other things. And definitely at night is a good way of, you know, whatever your brain does, or, uh, at night, it's definitely a good way of coming up with interesting things. But then write them down. That's my, uh, <laughs> yeah, top tip: have a pen and paper by the bed just in case.
0: Yeah, I often so. think of it as as sort of priming your brain because I'll do that all the time too. A lot of my projects will start off yeah. as a rough draft, maybe two years before they get finished, right. and because I'll have an initial idea, and then it'll just it'll just stagnate at some point. But then if you've right. got if you've already done that amount of work then every, all the information that comes in from the next, for the next it's not like year it's right. and it's a, it's an m- incredible amount of information, right? And your brain is throwing yep. most information away most of the time. But if you've got this yep. problem just in the side of your brain somewhere, then there's different information that piques your attention. That thing that, that would have completely gone out of your head.
1: That's that exactly, I think you're, you put it uh, perfectly. It's priming your brain. uh uh, for whatever the project is going to be or the or or the ultimate um idea and i i also agree totally that then you become more receptive to things from the outside you know i'll be in a lecture and i'll realize you know something that um uh, is being said normally i wouldn't have paid any attention to and suddenly it'll hit me oh that was actually that's a really interesting you know, solution or way of looking at, at, at this uh, problem or, or issue. So I think that you're uh, that that's absolutely right, and I, I'm sure that that's applicable to many, many uh, areas of uh, of, um, uh, of of yeah, advancement of uh, involved ideas, yeah, and originality.
0: I mean, I'm I'm no expert in this. I'm just sort of an observer of how a single yeah. creative mind
1: works. Do you have any? Yeah, I have no idea how you how you could do that. I mean, do, do the songs come first, and that you say, "Oh, I want to take." Uh, I mean, I'm turning around to be the questioner here, but is it? Oh, that's the, fine. That you, I'm happy to talk about is, what is I do. Is it Havana do. comes first, and then you think that oh, that Havana Nana Nana, maybe use <laughs> that? Or I mean, how on earth do you select the song uh, it's, it's,
0: so great? It's a complicated process. The, my first criterion for us for to do a song is that I have to like it. Because I'm going to be working on a project for months at a time. If I don't like the song that I'm doing, then it's just... I, I, it, it demotivates you so much. It's surprising how much time you can waste if you don't like what you're working on. Um, right. So that's my first criterion. I have to really like it. And then it's it's honestly just about ideas a lot of the time. But often I'll let things percolate, like like you're saying. So I have... I'll I'll have a list of topics that I want to cover, and then I'll have a list of songs that I'm intrigued with or really like or find interesting. Um, and the, it has to be a song that has a good amount of words to it too, right? Like this song. Right, yeah, this yes. song wouldn't have worked if it didn't have the uh, the rap bridge and the or the, the second <laughs> verse because that that gives me the space to break down some some more technical things. Um, if you've got right, a song yeah. that's you know every like a opera piece where they say maybe two lines in two minutes, then what am I going to tell you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But, but I, I think the way that you explain this, uh, you, you always have a story to this. So I always come away from watching the videos that I've, I've uh, uh, learned something about an area I knew nothing about, be that, be that string theory or quantum gravity or uh you know or the outbound probe or evo Devo. I, I mean i really like your ability your ability to condense and the same in the nanopop video your ability to condense the story down to uh, and then have to uh to to, to to something that's useful for people to understand and interesting for them to go to this then you have this kicker at the end uh yeah. saying that uh oh and by the way so biology does all this. <laughs> so this is great. Yeah, well, I I,
0: lo- I loved what you said about um, how you think about about lecturing as storytelling, um, because that's I th- I think that's what you have to do to effectively convey information. You have to put yeah. it in, like that. Like that's how that's how human brains work. We work in narratives, even when we're constructing our dreams might just be random firings, but we'll put it into a story when we wake up. And that's like, that's the proper way that information goes into your brain, I guess. Um, So that's what I'm always trying to do is figure out, you know, if you're, if you're telling, and it's a good way to structure your ideas too, right? If you, if you're thinking about telling a story, if you, if you tell a good story narratively, it's never that this happened and then this happened and then this happened, like disparate events. If you want to tell a good story, it's this happened. And as a result, this happened. And but right. but because of something else, this happened, and there's a there's a line through it, right? Um, and so yeah, yeah. when I'm thinking about information, and this is something that I learned from um, a, t- a great talk I heard by the guys who run this channel called the Wisecrack channel on YouTube, um, where they do sort of pop philosophy, but this is how they think about um, about storytelling in informational fields. Is it's it's exactly the same, and you can actually break it down even. More broadly, if you want, in terms of you know the ring cycles and the hero's journey and all this kind of stuff, if you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you can take um, a subject and find a protagonist, either in in a character, in a the person who discovered it, or even the protagonist can be the idea itself, and you can find a a line through the entire field. Um, I think that's yeah. that's what because I, I can't I can't hold on to information there's, there's, if it's not in that format. If it if it's yeah. If you tell me 10 facts, I'll forget nine of them. But if you tell me a story that weaves yeah. the 10 facts together like like beads on a exactly. string, then it all stays yeah. in my brain. I can follow it.
1: Yeah, and that's also, you know, I have... Um, we were talking about the use of, of magic, and I also have uh, uh, jokes and videos and other sorts of things in my, my talk. And I think uh, 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 part of that is also to try and uh, uh, ha- have... Sort of trick, not, uh, not trick things that people can grab hold of that they'll remember. And uh, hopefully, you know, if I'm doing something to illustrate a, a, a magic uh, trick, to illustrate a ratchet mechanism or a motor mechanism, or or something, hopefully they, uh, as long as it, as it fits well to that, uh, uh, the the st- the experiment that I'm talking about, then they'll remember that a lot better than if it's just a cold science lecture that I'm doing. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I think I I definitely don't remember 95% of the lectures that I went to in in university. But the ones that I did had they either had a very good story or they had a really powerful idea that I was already thinking about. So that goes yeah. back I guess to both of the ideas that we're talking
1: about here. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I th- I th- well, I think that's one of the things that people like about hopefully, like about molecular nanotechnology and molecular machines. It's a very powerful idea about something that's, you know, going on now that you can see uh, 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 that it can really work because of biology. And you can uh, then think about what is that going to do for our future? Uh, You know, let's go and invent it.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's going to, as it progresses, it's going to be built up in this this structure from from the basic elements and that's yeah. it's going to have a natural story to it as it goes yeah the same way that biology does that you can tell it from biochemistry building up and up and up
1: yeah yeah no absolutely it's going to be just like it's going to be a just like the industrial revolution and uh, happened with uh, you know steam engines and then going on to uh, manufacturing and Henry Ford and all these sorts of of things you're going to see the same sort of progression with um, how molecular machines impact it won't be that uh, you know in two years time you'll go out and buy a packet of molecular machines for something (laughs) they'll slowly be uh, incorporated into how we make drugs how we build other molecules how we make materials included into materials that can do different things so it will be a gradual um, you know uh, evolution into more and more, more things,
0: I think. Yeah, well, we'll have to see how long that takes. You can already... I have in my closet right now a, a CRISPR kit from a box that oh, we got wow. off the internet for $100 that enables wow. me to do genetic engineering in my basement <laughs> at some point. Um, I mean, that's
1: just the most extraordinary technology, of course. Yeah. And enjoyed charge you... video on that as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's kind of why I, I thought I've got to try this for myself. But it's been sitting there for quite a while. I've got to pull it out and do something with it. But people have a lot of worries about that. That that uh, yeah. th- that kid is fairly controversial um, because it's sure. it's a guy who just started a lab in his uh, in his garage and decided, you know, what I'm going to democratize this technology and I'm going to exactly. g- like send it to anybody yeah. who wants to do whatever. Yeah, with it.
1: those sorts of things, you know, worry worry us as scientists I think uh, because it's not the sort of technology that you want people I mean if it's really uh, I don't know about this kit but if it really allows you to do things on um, you know important things on uh, on your own cells and uh, Mm -hmm. things like that then one would worry about people having access to those sorts of Things not that they, they're not going to release something that's going to harm the whole population, but they can hurt themselves. Yeah, well, this one
0: is very basic. All I can do is, I think, right. turn a little yeast red. But there, are yeah. like, if you can right. do that, there are many other things that you can do with similar, you know, yeah. similar access, presumably. Sure, sure, you, sure, sure. Do you worry about that with the you know, people worry about disaster scenarios with nanotechnology? Yeah.
1: No, I mean, um. Uh, of course, there is this fear with nanobots that uh, you'll have grey goo that would self-replicate and take over the world. But um, can, you, I mean, sorry, we can, see-
0: can you describe the the grey goo scenario oh, for people who yeah, don't know? So uh, uh,
1: the idea of, uh, of, of molecular machines and and molecular factories from the uh, from the engineering, the bottom down engineering uh, approach, first brought up by Feynman in, in Plenty of Room at the Bottom. That that was. Um, taken up by Eric Drexler, a, a key figure in, in the 1980s in popularizing this idea of, of, of nanotechnology. Uh, and one of the things that Drexler um, uh, hypothesized about was the possibility of having self-replicating nanobots. After all, I mean, we're saying that, uh, 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 that we are nanobots or that life is, mm-hmm. is based on molecular machines, and we know that cells replicate. So why can that not happen with uh, 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 nanobots in a, in a malicious way and um, and have them you know take over the world? But uh, I mean we're so far away from I mean it's so difficult even to make uh, something that's just a switch that picks up uh, a substrate from one place and put it down in uh, in another that uh, to get to the stage where you would have things that were could really be seen as living an artificial uh, life form. I mean, that might come in a millennium. Mm. Uh, who knows what the future will be? And the more that we learn about how how to make artificial molecular machines, the more we learn uh, about how life really works at the, at the molecular level. But it's not going to be something that can accidentally happen that someone would create a nanobots that could um, uh, uh, that could. Self-replicate and and take over the world and uh, the, the, uh, um, far more dangerous things are things like CRISPR in the wrong hands, which obviously could be used to uh, manipulate uh, bubonic plague or other sorts of uh, you know put nasty uh, things into into replicating bacteria that uh, could create uh, terrible weapons. But that's not going to happen with uh, nanobots. Not in in the, uh, any of our lifetimes for. Millennia to
0: come. So what you're saying is biology is sort of a mature technology. So messing around with that form of nanotech actually has the capability to to have to make something that works.
1: Yes, 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 that's right. And uh, um, yeah, so that's definitely why one would worry about CRISPR, uh, the possibilities that that holds for nefarious activity. But I mean, as with all technology, it's, uh, it's it's not inherently good or bad. It's what people uh, uh, do with it. And obviously, yeah. CRISPR is going to be a force for tremendous good. And we just have to try and find ways of um, making sure that it isn't uh, abused in ways that, um, that that would be bad for mankind. And uh, and hopefully, that will be done.
0: But you could you could worry about. Uh, with synthetic nanomachines that there would be an additional danger of us not having any defenses to that sort of thing. Right. Because the other, the the fact that we ourselves are um, in some ways, a mature technology means that we've had billions of years to combat the usual mechanisms that that occur in, in diseases and plagues and stuff like that. And you see that in like in antibiotic resistance, how the, you know, bacteria become resistant to antibiotics very fast but it's because we're using chemicals that have already existed in the natural world and that some bacterium has had to develop a resistance to and then they have ways to share it and spread it around and there's this there's there's already seed there
1: yeah the the molecules of molecular nanotechnology and building molecular robots these are uh, organic systems so they're made out of the same sorts of components they're, they're not little shiny metal nanobots that are, uh, are very alien in uh, um, in the sort of the elements they use they're made out of the same sort of constituents as, as mm-hmm. nylon or, uh, or organic molecules them, uh, themselves they're carbon nitrogen oxygen uh, and sulfur and the immune system works by producing antibodies not to things that it uh, already knows about, but to anything that's alien. Hmm. So for sure, if there, uh, if you um, had a big dose of uh, something and the immune system didn't recognize it, you would produce antibodies against that and your immune system would work to uh, uh, attack it. So, I mean, there's just no... The, the, the molecules that uh, we and others in this area make are no different to any other uh, organic uh, molecules that are used in paints, dyes, polymers, drugs, um, and they're definitely nothing that uh, people should uh, worry about. But as as we've said, manipulation of um, uh, of actual biology uh, that's uh, overwhelmingly for good because it's going to change our whole approach to healthcare, personalised healthcare, um, healthcare based on on the the genome and in, individual. Uh, solving individual problems. So it's overwhelmingly positive, but there's no doubt that there could be um, uh, things that are uh, uh, are not nice that could come out of, of that mm-hmm. technology.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it's the, the old Spider-Man maxim with great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's as a technology gets more powerful that you have to worry about it. Where do you yeah. think the first like practical application of, Uh, this synthetic molecular machines is going to find itself.
1: Yeah, there's already people who are making uh, 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 materials that have got these kinds of molecules, catenanes and rotaxanes in them. They're used in uh, some cell phone coatings because the the rings uh, are thought to allow the sliding of polymer chains over each other and so help um, cushion impact and, and have, have uh, things. Those aren't really molecular machines. Uh, I think the, uh, they're more new materials and I think that that's going to be an area where these sort of architectures uh, are, are used. I would say that the most likely uh, area for uh, molecular machines to first have influence is um, surface properties because Molecular machines at the moment are ex, you know, extremely lengthy to synthesize just as, as uh, work intensive to synthesize just a very tiny amount of them. Mm. So it's hard to think that they're going to be used in bulk for anything. They would just be so expensive. Uh, but if you had them as surface coverings, so for example, you had a material that could it was just a, a a very simple molecular machine that switched properties from being, say, sticky to non-sticky. Uh, or um, uh, yeah, so you could you could have something that could be an adhesive. Shine UV light on it, and it would switch off that uh, adhesive properties. You're already seeing um, sort of sensors based on molecular machines. You show some in your uh, video of the logic gates, yeah. and those yeah. are um, uh, already used in diagnostics. Uh, AP De Silva from uh, Queen's University in Belfast. Uh, um, has developed those Boolean logic gate systems for sensors, and those are used in uh, uh, diagnostic kits in in ambulances. So that's that's great. That's technology that's really being used to save lives and help people already.
0: Wow, I didn't I didn't know that there that those those logic gates were already being used in any system. I yeah. only knew of them in little vials being shot with one type of light and emitting yeah, another that, type of light. Those Very abstractly.
1: They're, those are already being used to detect, um, uh, you know, you can have a, a logic gate that detects, say, uh, that only comes on, only is fluorescent when there's the sodium is lower than a certain value and potassium, higher than a value or, or whatever, something like that, that where the iron concentrations are diagnostic of a particular condition. And, uh, say, some of those kits are already used in, um, uh, in um, detection systems that are used. Uh, in ambulances, at This is that's one thing that
0: always amazes me about new technologies and new information of any kind is just how quickly people find ways that it can impact some completely different field that you yeah. you wouldn't expect. Like just yeah. there's so there are so many possible connections between fields that that's yeah. one thing that I I don't know I I think is is a better. Argument for basic research, like the kind of stuff you're doing, than even what people usually say, which is that, well, it's it's a twist on the usual argument. Usually, when people say, "Why should you do basic research? It doesn't seem to have any use." People say, "Well, look at all the research in the past, and look at the uses it's brought to, it's come to now." Yeah,
1: but just like yeah, I I, I also yeah, I think you're 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 absolutely right. And and the other thing that this uh, this shows up is the incredible um, impact on fields that other fields have on. Mm-hmm. We've talked about molecular machines that depend upon ratchet mechanisms that were developed uh, uh, by physicists and it's, uh, um, you know, it's inspired by um, uh, some of the things that we do are inspired by the biological systems but then you've got Boolean logic gates Uh, from uh, informatics and computer systems but those are the sort of systems that need to be brought into programmable molecular machines in order to understand how you are going to use them in a sophisticated manner to do uh, complex tasks and as we've seen they can be used in sensors so also I think another important thing we you know become more and more specialized in what we become expert in the people in my group are experts in being able to construct uh, molecules but unless you have this general understanding of other fields uh, uh, as well um, well having that general understanding of how other fields can impact on on what you uh, do um, can really make a huge difference in advancing all kinds of uh, parts of science, I think.
0: Yeah, I hope. Yeah. well, I hope that, that that's sort of breaking. Like, my, my hope is that the connectedness of the world will spill out into the connectedness yeah. of science. And one of the things that I noticed that you, that I really like that you're doing, like, on your on your website, which is catine.net, um, I think, if people want to go and visit it. Um, but you have, all like, all these papers that you've published that are just there freely available. And I so wish that, every scientist would do that because you actually do have the right to put your own paper up wherever you want for people to see it but so much yeah. of so, so much of this new information right now is is behind paywalls or you you have to be part of an institution to gain access to it and even a lot of like lower ranking institutions don't have access to you know the 500 journals you would need to make these sorts of connections and maybe there's something that yeah, already exists so that solves your problem right
1: that's why it's already so important to have open open access publishing and uh, that's coming on uh, uh, over the last five years and and that's going to be how everything is going forward I mean it was started by the NIH and other major, players in the United States who insisted that uh, research that they published was made open access and then other countries such as the UK and uh, Canada also have these uh, policies as uh, 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 as well now, so one does that one of the other things that we try and do on our web page is we try and have simple stories uh simple explanations of the sort of scientific highlights when we publish a paper um, you know we we, we, we can 't always have a, a brilliant musical video to uh, you know tell the story, but we can uh, try and explain what uh, we've done in in a way that hopefully people can uh, appreciate and understand what is the um, what is going on in the field mm-hmm. and get something uh, from it that hopefully they find interesting. There's not hype as well because obviously there's a, um, a tendency to uh, have things hyped in the media and we don't want to do that we want to try and explain the science facts not the science fiction of, of things that are going on.
0: Yeah and you yeah. want to be able to like to make these interdisciplinary connections I think what you want to do is take as much of your expertise as possible and keep it in a black box. But have, have an interface that other people, that people from other fields can understand, right? So yeah, you, you give them a story that is, can... in fact, accurate on the functional level where they would need to apply it in their own field. Yeah. And I think.
1: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. We don't want biologists or physicists to try and make our molecules, but we'd love them to understand what we can do and what we can't do yet. Uh, so that maybe it can be they can find some uh, either understanding um, maybe it helps under, understanding of some processes in biological machines, or or even they can suggest to us mechanisms or things that it would be cool to build into uh, into synthetic molecular machines because this is what a biological machine does, or what a, or how a, a ratchet mechanism works. Can we? do that. I mean, that's how we learned how to build all the different kinds of molecular motors that we developed, was just learning from what physicists have done and taking their blueprints and applying them to molecular design. So, it's all about taking... I I think also a lot of great scientific progress comes from taking a discovery in one area and applying it in a completely different one, just like you were uh, pointing out.
0: Well, that's what I'm... In a way, that's sort of how I think about my this this whole project that i'm doing because i am doing it in some in many senses to popularize science or to explain science to other people but part of what i feel like i'm doing is chunking fields of science in a way that i'll actually once i get to the end of going through all of them or as many as i can get to that i'll actually hold on to the information that i gathered at the time so it's like it's like having a, a logbook with where I had to synthesize it into the most compact form that it could so that when I'm done, it can actually all fit in my brain and I can apply connections from one place to another. Because I, I have found that. Like, even working on, on this video, um, I was noticing a lot of similarities between the stuff I was working on here and the EvoDevo video that I did. Because Absolutely. that's a field where there were all these connections coming in from... Yeah from physics and from computing as well. And these, lo- like, logic gates through transcription factors on DNA. Um, yeah, 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 And now that's I'm awesome. finding that, now I'm going on and looking at computer science, and I've already got this background in, um, like, like I, I had to learn a whole bunch about Turing machines to understand that one um, yeah. part of this video with the people uh-huh. trying to do very basics yeah. of, of molecular Turing yeah. machines. Um, yeah. And that's, like, I hope that I can... I don't know, if I can accomplish that project, then hopefully I can give people, other people a scaffold to do that as well. You know, you can have a repertoire of songs that you go through and it'll actually give you something to build entire fields of knowledge on that you can actually keep. Because I get really worried about losing all the information I have. I've forgotten 99% of what I learned in my degree, I think.
1: Yeah, that happens to all of us. But also the way that um, that you're you're able to do it and to tell the story in the in the videos. For example, the Evo Devo one was so cool that it got me to go and read Sean Carroll's uh, uh, book. Uh, because I thought that was so interesting. And also, for me, it was fascinating to see the molecular machines being used, uh, such, such as the, uh, the, uh, how the vertebrae of the snake was um, done by speeding up the, uh, the clock. So all these sorts of things, um, you know, I find incredibly uh, interesting and useful for the stuff that, that we do in a general sense for understanding, you know, if one day we make molecular factories... Uh, maybe those are tricks that we will be able to uh, to use to have uh, ways of speeding up processes to have one thing happen and not speeding them up to have something different uh, happen. Those sorts of th- that's a concept that's clearly used by biology that I didn't know about, but uh, uh, perhaps we can think of uh, of adopting. Um, one day down the line, in, uh, in in how to use synthetic molecular machines to do different things. Well, I w- I would
0: be totally honored if something that I mentioned in a song impacted a, the, the future of your work. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, my my camera battery is running low, so I think we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, is there any is, is there any other message that you'd like to give to people, or if you'd like to tell us where we can learn more, where we can follow you, that sort of thing?
1: Um, uh, just as uh, the, our web address is, is given at the, uh, um, on the bottom of the link of the, uh, of the Nanobot video, www.catenane.net. Um, and thanks so much for doing the video, Tim. You did a great job, and thanks for having me on to, to talk with everyone today.
0: Yeah, no, this is a fantastic conversation. I'd love to do this again. If you enjoyed this podcast or you enjoy what I do with Acapella Science, there are a couple ways you can support it. You can leave reviews and comments on your podcast app, you can subscribe to Acapella Science on YouTube, and you can support me financially by going to patreon.com slash acapella science. You can also follow me at Acapella Science across all platforms. My name is Tim Blay, and I hope you'll join me for more great conversations on the next episode of Science Life. <ticks> Harmony da da, 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 da Science